The secret is knowing you're never going to hit 10 out of 10 in every area of your life on a daily basis, but you just got to make sure you don't go too many days neglecting the areas that matter most because anything you don't feed eventually dies, whether it's a plant, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a family, whether it's a business, you've got to make sure that you're giving adequate time and attention to all the different areas and you're not going to nail it every single day, but just schedule your life in such a way that you live by priorities and not by pressures. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they are created to be so that others may benefit and God may be glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. And I'm so excited because it was a handful of months ago now that I came across, I think it was on Instagram or LinkedIn or something, this guy named Rob Wall. And I just remember I saw something of him and I was like, man, this guy is just an absolutely dynamic communicator. And he was just so effectively gifted at communicating the thoughts that he had inside of his head. And a lot of the things that I saw he was communicating about were in the realm of personal growth and leadership. And I just thought, man, I'd love to have coffee with that guy someday, but it turns out he's in London. And so I had that thought and then I was like, well, isn't that one of the reasons why you started Path for Growth Conversations on the podcast is so that you could literally just have coffee with people and record conversations with them about topics that are intentionally directed towards helping yourself and others grow in the arena of personal, spiritual, and leadership growth. And I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to reach out and see if he'd be up to do that. Turns out he was up to do that. And so I'm so excited to share this conversation with y'all because we dive into a topic that has been so prevalent lately in my life and in the coaching conversations that we've been having with the business owners and business leaders we work with in Path for Growth. And that's the topic of presence, the ability to be intentionally and deliberately present with the people that you are responsible to, with the people that you are leading, and with the people that you are called to serve. It was such a powerful conversation for me. I learned so much from it. And Rob really draws from his experience as a pastor, as a writer, as a content creator, and as a coach. And just so many takeaways. So we jumped in on a story that really captures why this topic is so important. So I always think about the story. It's actually from a native fellow of yours. And his name was, you'll remember, his name's Dennis Waitley. And he was trying to get on a flight from Chicago to LA for a speaking engagement. And just as he got to the gate, it said that the gate was closed. And he begged, this guy, Dennis, begged them to let him on the plane. And they said, no, absolutely not. And so he missed his flight. And AA flight 191 flew out. And little did anyone know that, unfortunately, that plane crashed upon takeoff. All 258 passengers died, as well as the crew members. And it was just the most deadliest aviation accident in US history. And that near-death experience had such an impact on Dennis because he was moments away from getting on flight 191 and he could have died. So what did he do? He took that ticket. He took that flight with the number on it. And he put that paper ticket in a visible place on his mirror every single morning. So he would look at it and he would say, this is a symbol of my past that gives me meaning in my present. 
and serves as a function, as a compass for my future. And it enables me to remember that every day, every minute, every second I'm alive, I've got a purpose on the earth because I look at this ticket and it reminds me how things could have been so different. And I love that story just because it reminds us that, yes, we live in minutes, but there are moments. And in those moments, they either define us or they will determine whether our future is going to be very different. So I love that sense in which he missed his flight and yet it saved him. And he didn't just let that moment go as if, oh, who, you know, bit of luck. He looked at it every morning and it gave him meaning to the minutes that he was going to live. Man, that's remarkable. I always, I love starting these conversations with a story and it's always a little bit like whenever I ask someone for a story, I never know if they're going to have something ready and man, Rob, you had something ready. That's pretty amazing. So that's a pretty compelling idea though. I'd love for you to tie in. Where is the link that you see between that experience that Dennis had and this topic of presence, of being aware, of being all there. How do you link those two? Yeah, because so often we're focused on where we're going next and we miss the gift of now. And, you know, missing the gift of now causes us to miss opportunities, miss relationships. And we're so focused on the promise. I mean, I'm, I'm a person of faith and we always hear teachings about the promises, but actually we spent far too much focusing on promises and forget it's all about presence. I, I say to a lot of the people I coach and a lot of people I lead, this is as good as it gets right here, right now. You mm. overestimate how um, good yesterday was because you blow it up in your mind and magnify it. You underestimate where you are right now and you assume everything in the future is going to be great. So having that discipline and that self-leadership to sit in today and make today your masterpiece. John Maxwell's always asked, what is success? And he says, success is determined by your daily agenda, being present in the moment, in and through every encounter, every situation, and every moment that you have. Man, that's brilliant. And, and I love that you use that word discipline too. I'd love just to talk practically about that for you, I, I think you're a husband. I know you're a dad as well. If I saw correctly, I think you're about to be, you're about to have a second child as well. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, that's so exciting. Do you know a boy or girl yet, Rob? Uh, we'll know in two weeks. Well, that's really exciting, man. So, okay. And so, and then on top of that, you have all of these professional aspirations and you're doing big things within your work and within your career as well. And so I would imagine you experience really that need to it doesn't come naturally to be present. It requires discipline. And so I'd love to know practically, how do you discipline yourself? How do you apply that self-leadership to be someone that is present where you are in the moment? Yeah. So I would always, you hear a lot about work-life balance. I, I want to debunk that myth. I don't believe in work-life balance. There's no such thing as balance. Even the best day doesn't have balance. I call it having integrated priorities. So hmm. I, you know, I make sure I've got my priorities on my calendar weekly. You know, you'll hear me say his name a lot just because he's a mentor of mine. You know, John Maxwell says, your day can't begin until it's finished on paper. And so I'm, I'm pretty disciplined in figuring out what each hour of my day is going to look like. I'm never going to get 10 out of 10 in every area of my life on a daily basis. So for example, all week has been 
and trying to get this new academy we're starting off the ground. So I'm in meetings till 10 p.m. at night. So my family is not getting 10 out of 10 on my on my scorecard every single day this week. However, because I've got Friday evening, all day Saturday and all day Sunday for family, they're going to be back on the priority list and my work's going to take a back seat. The secret is knowing you're never going to hit 10 out of 10 in every area of your life on a daily basis, but you've just got to make sure you don't go too many days neglecting the areas that matter most because anything you don't feed eventually dies, whether it's a plant, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a family, whether it's a business, you've got to make sure that you're giving adequate time and attention to all the different areas and you're not going to nail it every single day, but just schedule your life in such a way that you live by priorities and not by pressures. And that will dictate and determine whether you're a person that really does live by their prescribed values. Like one other thing I'd say is so many people have prescribed values that don't align with their visible practices. And let's make sure that we become people that condense and bridge the gap between who we say we are and what we actually do. And having people in my life that help me be accountable to that ensures that I live by priorities and not by pressures. Gosh, that's powerful. So you finish up Friday evening or Friday afternoon. You've had a a really large week of work as you're building this program. You're probably pretty exhausted, honestly, because you've been staying up till 10 doing meetings and then everything related to that as well. And at the same time, this is what we see so often with the leaders that we work with. You finish there and the last experience that your family wants is the empty version of Rob, right? Like they want the the full energetic, right? They want the good version of Rob, not the spent version of Rob. So how do you, whenever you have so much pressing against you, how do you make sure you shift gears and you say, okay, I, I played all out in that arena and now this is now the priority and I want to bring my whole self to this arena? Yeah, great question. So I make sure I leave the office at the office or I leave Zoom and Zoom. (laughs) Okay, so that's a powerful concept, though, because work is, I mean, y'all are pretty closed down in in London right now. So like the office is home for you right now, correct? Right. So um, in your experience, does that make this more challenging or less challenging? 100%. I mean, Gracie, sometimes knocking on the door when you're on a call to a stakeholder or someone that's very influential to what you're doing. But there's this kind of common understanding right now that we're all in this together. I I don't want to create this perception that, oh gosh, Rob finishes at 10 p.m. and his family not seen him. Because you know what's really good? I make sure if I've got meetings across the pond to America until 10 or 11 p.m., I'll make sure I've got two hours in the afternoon with Gracie or two hours in the morning. It's not so much about quantity of time. It's about being present. You know, I say this about marriage all the time. It's not just about company with your spouse. It's about connection. I'd rather have five minutes connecting with my wife, Bernadette, than two hours of us just sitting in each other's company and not saying each other anything to each other. So for me, it's about good, intentional, quality time, not the amount of time I'm, I'm with them. Wow. Okay, so I I have a little bit of a a personal question that I think applies to a lot of the people that we work with as well. I think you and I are actually in a little bit similar stages in many regards. We started this business path for growth about 
six or seven months ago. And so we're still in the very early startup stages. And one of the things I love about it is there's a lot of unknowns. And one of the biggest challenges is that there's a lot of unknowns, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and there's so much, and at the same time, there's so much opportunity, right? And there's just so much opportunity to create and to do things. Every idea might be worth pursuing just a little bit. And so, I mean, all this stuff, it's so much fun. And can you relate to that? 100%. It's trying to rein in the ideas and implement on what we can with the budget we've got and with the, <laughs> the team we've got, 100%. I feel that. Totally. Uh, okay, so the challenge can be, I am experiencing the reality pretty regularly that th- the more time I spend mentally working on the business, the more the business improves, which is awesome, right? Like my direct mental input, uh, like I can see the ramifications and benefits of it. 100%. But I also know that when I'm with friends or with when I'm with family or when I'm with people that I really care about, it's not really effective for me or for them long term for me to be there, but for me to not really actually be there, you know, and like I'm mentally applying myself to the business and I've experienced it really challenging, Rob, to to be there and actually be there. And so I'd love to know, number one, is that something you empathize with? And number two, how do you come at that? I love that. Yeah, I do empathize with it. I I wish my creativity had office hours. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, Yeah, just turn it off every once in a while, right? And so there are moments where I I really do believe assumptions, the mother of all mess ups. And assumptions are based on us just assuming people know what we're thinking, assuming People know what's expected of them and of us. And so even within a family setting, communicating your expectations up front saves a lot of confrontation. And and this is speaking directly into your question, because, for example, we're on Friday night. Bernadette knows when I come off this call and wrap up my um, emails and shut off everything for the weekend, she knows this evening my head's still going to be whirring. And I might have to say, sorry, babe, and I get my notebook out and I write something down. That's an expectation that I've clearly said works for me because it's just the way I'm wired. However, there is an expectation that tomorrow I won't be on my phone and I have to discipline myself to weigh up. Yes, a good business idea. Wonderful. But is it worth the expense of an unhappy atmosphere at home? And so I'm constantly, I always say, set me expectations, we expectations and you expectations for everything. What do you expect of me? What do I expect of you? And what do we expect of each other? And over communicating, even in a marriage, over communicating what I need and what you need is the thing I think that helps me be present. And when I have those moments where I'm out of the room, I'm in the room, but out of the room, we've talked about why that happens. And the implications of that. So I'm not justifying the behavior, so to speak, but I am saying that we've set practices and patterns in our lives where we understand each other. And I think that's really key. Mm, That is. You said like tonight, if there's something on your mind, you'll pull something out and write it down. I'm curious, is that like a hyper intentional, like, does that do something for you mentally to know that it's written down? I'm worried I'll lose it because there's so much, there's so much, going on and you get so distracted i'm i live with this fear if i don't write this title down for a talk if i don't just have a this recorded somewhere it will be gone and someone else will get it and someone else will use it and and i think it's for me it's just stewardship of what i've 
what I get because you, as you, as we said, you don't know when those golden ideas are going to come, and often it's when you're in a state of rest that your creativity comes alive. You know, so I just always have. I mean, everywhere I've got post-it notes. I'm making notes. When you ask a good question, I'm making a note that could, that will trigger a thought with my team or a project I'm doing. It's just the way my mind works. And so, is it like? Does it mentally? help you say like, okay, I had the idea. God, thank you for the idea. I've now written down the idea and now I can move on and be where I need to be this Friday evening. Yeah. Our brains aren't designed to store this much information. So I have a notebook here on my desk. That's ideas that aren't for now, but maybe in the future. And I, Mm. you know, we have what, 30,000 thoughts a day, 80% of them are generally negative unless we rewire them. So I have a notebook that's for ideas that are just distractions, good ideas, but not serving the purpose or the mission of what we're trying to do. And then I have another notebook, which is like application, execution, implementation, all that stuff. Otherwise, if it's in my head, it's just going to get clogged up and foggy. So I need to release it. And then you talked about Saturday, you said you're off the phone. Like, is that literally like I'm the phone is nowhere to be seen. It's gone. Or is it just being more disciplined about your interaction with the phone? Because this is another just one of those tactical yeah. things that we see all the time for people on the weekend. Yeah. So I want to set this one up because my answer is going to I do believe in having a rest day, whether you want to call it a Sabbath day of rest, whatever. Um, I do hold to the notion if the output exceeds your input then your upkeep will be your downfall and you will. Wait, hold on. Say that again. That was good. That was a pre-crafted. That was an idea sentence that you've written down at one time. You got to say that again, Rob. Yeah. This, if your output exceeds your input, then your upkeep will be your downfall. And so trust me, I, when I work hard, but we take family holidays, we're intentional about when the holidays are on the calendar. I'll take a month off in August. I'll take three weeks in December. Like, when I holiday, but when I'm working. So even on Saturdays, I'm a sold out member to the 5am club, five till 9am. That's my time. So that's my time for creativity, for personal development, for listening to talks. It's my time. And my daughter wakes up about 8.45. So then I, I go and look after her. But I realized a long time ago, there are perks to leadership, but the perks come after you've paid the price. And the price I had to pay was my mattress or my morning. I, I love sleeping. And I realized it was stopping me. My my lack of discipline in that area, getting up, was stopping me from doing more. So it wasn't that I didn't have the resources to get up. I didn't have discipline. Like often we, I, I always say, often we pray for deliverance in areas that just require discipline. And I, I want to do as much as I can do for myself. And then you know, the moment I committed to those early starts, I've plenty of time in the day. I've got more hours than I need. If I'm not putting this on your listeners, but let's say everyone got up 5am and they did that for four hours till 9am. That's five. If they did that five days a week, they would get an additional 20 hours a week. That's a nine day week. So I do that. I, I go to bed earlier, I pay the price. And the fruit of that is more time and, and, I, it's seasonal. I won't do it forever, but in the season I'm in, that's the gear I've got the car in. So they're my thoughts on that. Mm. How long have you been doing that for the 5am club? About a year, about a year. 
And it's easier. It's again, I keep saying it's seasonal because there'll be someone listening to this being like, oh man, I can't do that. And the reason I can do that right now is because um, I got in the habit of it when a little baby girl would wake up at 4am, 5am and need a feed. And I just, you know, it's a myth that it's 21 or 28 days to form a habit. University College London have just released a study saying it's actually 66 days to form a habit, 22 days to deconstruct your old habit, 22 days to put in your new habit, and then 22 days to solidify and make that new habit habitual. So really what people don't realize is you're signing up to 66 days when you're forming a new habit. And I believe that to be true about getting up early. I think it's a two-month process, really. So if you gave yourself two months, if you gave that to early mornings, it would become habitual in your second quarter. When I think that's, I, I kind of consider that the phrase we use within Path for Growth is a high yield habit, right? It's one of those things that it's like, that. it ha- it has ramifications into the rest of your day, into the rest of your week, into the rest of your month. I'm in the fifth year right now, Rob, of this thing that I simultaneously love and hate called five, <laughs> five at five. So it's five miles at 5 a.m. every day in January, except Sunday. It's exactly what you're talking about. Like the, the physical part of it is just the the torture part of it. It's what it does for you for the rest of the day. That's so amazing. But one of the things that I've learned in this and what's so cool is we have four other people that we didn't even ask for it. Four other people just said, oh, we're going to do it as well. And so we've got this text group this year. It's just awesome. And we've got, we're on the last day tomorrow morning. It's going to be amazing. We're going to do a Zoom call afterwards. It's going to be awesome. But One of the things that I've experienced, and it's related to something you just said, is the answer for me and the answer for the people that I work with more often than not is not less sleep, right? It's not, I'm going to do all the things that I'm currently doing. I'm just going to wake up earlier and therefore I'm going to get less sleep. What I've recognized is there's been years where five at five has been miserable. And then there's been years where five at five has been really life-giving and fruitful. And almost always it's because I applied just as much attention and energy into the things that I'm doing in the evening that set me up for success the next morning as getting up at five, right? And so can you speak a little bit to, because I think there's a little bit of a boundaries thing in this, right? About like leveraging the evening to set yourself up for success the next day. You know, and that's why you've been doing it so long, because you know, actually, the start of your morning begins in the evening. It starts with how you end your day. So, you know, we could go into real practical things like no screen time. It's amazing how many people don't realize turning off your screens two hours before bed will give you an amazing night's sleep. So, you know, if you listen to Tony Robbins or any of those guys, an Epsom salt bath, candles, all those things that they can help you with your with your sleep. But I think having that mindset, you know, a bit of history here, ancient Jews begun their day in the evening. They still do. And so having that mindset at 10 p.m. at night, oh, the morning has begun now. And they start their gratitude and thanksgiving and their rituals at 10 p.m. at night. That enables them to wake up. And it's just a continuation of what they started the night before. And um, I'm not saying we have to do that, but I love the thought that we could be really intentional with our evenings. Not, I know the mornings is a hurdle and an uphill climb, but I think the same's to be said for the evenings. Switch off your phone. No, no one needs you after ten. And I know there are occasionally meetings you need to attend, whatever. But you know, the world carries on. The world will carry on without you. And I think one of the best habits one can form is having the habit of 
I'm going to lead myself to get off my phone and do some, maybe read for an hour before bed. That's another habit, you know, read, read for an hour a day and do that over five. They say read an hour a day over five years, you become an expert in that thing you're reading. So I'd shift the flip, flip the script and have that mindset. I'm not going to scroll through Instagram and Twitter and see what everyone else is doing. I'm going to read for an hour this evening. And in five years, people will be calling me up and scrolling through my Instagram page rather than me scrolling through theirs. <laughs> or hopefully reading your book. Hopefully not just on your Instagram page. Hopefully reading your book. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, you know, you get sucked. I just got rid of Twitter. I was like, this is literally in no way helpful. And I believe that it can be helpful for some people, but the way I was using it wasn't helpful at all. And so... But even Instagram, though, it like the whole scrolling thing, it's like literally I am allowing other people's production determine my intake. And that just seems so stupid. Whereas reading a book, it's like when I pick up a book and I choose the book out of the I mean, like the stack of books that you've got behind you. Right. When I, I get to choose what my intake is going to be, that just seems like much a, like I'm not giving up my attention to the whims of whatever someone decides to post that night and whether that'll make me anxious or glad or angry or fearful or any of those emotions. You're so right. And you know, 95% of people focus on consumption, 5% focus on production. The reason why, whilst 95% of people will watch Netflix tonight, 5% are hidden away, writing scripts, practicing, and, you know, there are three things. Yeah, first and foremost, most of us focus on consumption. A small percentage focus on production. But then the next challenge is you might be great at producing and have great production, but then it's about distribution. So, so you can have the best book in the world and be the best speaker in the world and do the best interviews in the world. But unless you transfer that production into distribution, no one's going to read what you have to say. So I feel now in this day and age, if you do an orbit of your life and and look at your relational orbit, anyone that's influential and significant, they've mastered the art of distributing what they've produced. So I think it's a threefold thing that we're all wrestling with. I'm certainly wrestling with it at the moment when you feel like your content's there, but how do you get the eyeballs on it? You know, that's right. Yeah. And get people bought into it. So you're not the only one that's passionate about it. Rob, that's huge. One of the things that we're focused on within the Path for Growth community right now is I love that quote. It's something to the variation of six months from today, you'll be the exact same person that you are right now outside of the books you read, the people you meet and the things that you do. And love so it. what yeah. we challenge people with is choose an area of leadership you want to grow because leadership super broad. Choose an area. And then we want you to choose a book that's in that area. We want you to choose an expert that you are literally going to sit down with that expert. You're going to buy their coffee or buy their meal, and you are going to ask them questions for an hour. And you're not going to let them ask you a single question because that, like, you bought their breakfast. Like, they don't get to ask any questions, right? And then we say, okay, what, what are you going to do? The pr production piece of it, right? What, how are you going to do this? But the piece that we just added to it that I'm so excited about because I think it's going to challenge people that aren't in the content space is we're telling them, what's the proof that you really learned something? What's the proof that you really grew? Can you share it with other people in such a way that they are just as passionate about it as you are? And mm -hmm. so, I mean, this is your arena, Rob, like you're such a brilliant communicator and you're like, I can already tell you just in this conversation, you do such a good job of 
isolating the principle that's at the core of a thing and saying it in a way that's really memorable and that makes me excited about it and be like, oh my gosh, I need to rewind. I need to hear Rob say that again. What advice would you have for people that maybe don't spend their life's work in the arena of communication, but do want to grow in how do I share what I've learned in such a way that it will promote people and move people towards action? Yeah, well, such a good question. We could cover this from so many angles. I think for me, the headline would be everybody communicates, but very few people connect. And if you can learn, if you can master the art of connecting with your barista or the person at the checkout in Target, if you can perfect the art of building a bridge to where people are, there's nothing that they won't do for you. You know, we try and transfer truth before we've established trust. And I would suggest become someone that you can't pretend and work up adding value to people. It's got to come from within. And so I would work really hard on becoming someone that's genuinely interested in people. And when that's the case, you'll think of more ways to build a bridge to where people are at. And whether you're selling coaching as a business or whether you're selling clothes, it doesn't matter. You speak their language, you let them look at you and hear you and think you've just described me, then they're with you. You know, one more thing. Every movement is established by a leader that invites you into a better future and offers you hope. So I would say, what does your story have that's going to establish other people finding hope? And that involves some vulnerability, you know, going into your life story and thinking, where are those connection points? Where are those moments where I can meet your pain point with my story? That, yeah. We've been working a lot with people recently on if you want to attract the right people and retain the right people, it's the whole start with why piece that Simon Sinek popularized. But I think a lot of times people think they've gotten to the core of that why and they're like, well, why aren't people attracted? Why aren't people emotionally engaged in this? And I think it's the word that you said, Rob. I think it's that vulnerability word because it's almost like people don't just want you to say this is why we work. Right. It's like people want to see that purpose ooze ooze out of you, right? Like it just needs to, and people it's, there's something that occurs whenever people like look at a leader that is absolutely gripped by a purpose. And they say, I literally could care less what the work is. I want to be a part of that. Can you speak to what you've observed in the leaders that you work with or the leaders that you've interviewed, or maybe even within what you're building right now in terms of number one, identifying that purpose and then communicating and living in such a way that people have that experience. Yeah. So everyone's got a core story. They just, I think a lot of us stay on the surface rather than really dig for the gold. So for example, my setting, I grew up with a massive fear of public speaking. When I was seven years old, I was laughed off stage because I kept stuttering and I had a lisp and I just couldn't get my words out. Fast forward to 23 years old. I'm 33 now, but at 23 years old, I went to a panel to be accepted to become a pastor as a speaker. And the one area they said I needed to address, in fact, I've got it here, I'll show you. The one area they said I needed <laughs> to address was my communication training. So I've got it highlighted here. Rob needs to work on pitching, his something like pitching his content appropriately. There were, <laughs> it was a two day panel. They didn't mention my character. They didn't mention me being kind to people. 
the area I was rubbish at was communication. Finally, if that wasn't enough, we all have a big weekend with all the leaders in London. We gather and we have to get marked out of 40 for our communication skills. And I get 17 out of 40, the lowest communication score in the whole of London, right? All the leaders in London. And then you had to wear your score as a scorecard round your neck for that whole day. Are yeah. you serious? Oh, pu- public shaming is what that was, is. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't think they understand uh, the leadership that is questionable about that <laughs> big time. But you know what? I used to remember those things as memories that are shameful, but actually I realized um, now they're my connection points. I will connect with someone within a minute because I completely disarm you, not in manipulation, but by just sharing my memories, just sharing my story. And now we have a global TV program. Now I do this for a living. But I say that story, I share that story because everyone I've interviewed has gone through a pruning process. Mm. And I always say this, it's the pruning process none of us want to participate in that produces the results everyone wants to receive. Yeah, that's so good. I spent 10 years in obscurity, no one knowing who I was, getting my head down, working on my communication, taking the hits, getting back up. There's no shortcut to suddenly. And whether you're interviewing Tony Robbins, he had a rough upbringing, he saw things he should never have seen at the age he was at. Anyone that's done something significant, they've been pruned, they've been prepared, but then it didn't stop with that. They thought to themselves, how am I going to use this? to help other people. So I would say, find the thing in your story that you've overcome and don't just keep it as you having a success story. How are you going to transfer those principles to other people's lives? Because yes, you can be intellectual. Yes, you can execute really well. But I think ultimately people remember how you made them feel by your story, not what you said. I appreciate you for sharing that. That's pretty remarkable. I also feel like if you released a audio course on how to create masterful statements that include alliteration, I would buy it tomorrow, Rob. I would literally buy it tomorrow. Uh, I don't even know I'm doing it. It's just just become part of the vocab. It's a gift. I think they must teach that in seminary or something. I don't know where that comes from. That's great. So related to what you just discussed too, it's one of our core values at Path for Growth. We say it at the end of every podcast episode, we say, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service, right? Mm -hmm. We always say like, we have a responsibility to be strong, but that we're going to pour that strength out in service of others. And so what I'd like to know for you is for the gifts that you now have, for the resources that you now have, for the blessings that you've been given, how do you you constantly assess how am I using this to serve others? How am I pushing this out and make sure you're preserving really that posture of generosity because it seems like that's a core part of leadership, Rob. Yeah. So I have a three, three words ethos I live by. I, ca- I catch, carry and connect. So mm-hmm. I catch a principle from someone or I catch an experience or I'm exposed to something and I don't let it stop with me. I then have a responsibility to carry that to other people in their context and then connect it to their lives. And by being intentional, every time I receive something, I think, who am I going to share this with? When am I going to share this? And how can this multiply? I think a lot of us are scared of sharing 
what we know because we think that's like our golden ticket to content or our golden ticket to being noticed. But for me, it's always weighing motives. And anytime I try and push something through, it's it never works or it's never sustained. Like any relationship I have that I've tried to force through, it's never works. And let me share this quick story. So I had a friend that got access to the greatest, I guess, political party club in, in England called the Carlton Club, Margaret Thatcher, Boris Johnson, whoever, they're a member of that club. And this guy forced his way into the club by knowing someone. And he wasn't ready for this room. He didn't understand the etiquette. He didn't understand the rules. And he would walk in on important cabinet meetings and sit down with his beer and say, hey, how's it going? What's going down? And he didn't last there very long. And I was with him for 90 minutes in this room years ago. And I remember saying to myself after that embarrassing experience, Lord, never let me get in a room that I'm not ready for. Because it's one thing to get in a room. It's a completely different thing to stay in a room. So I say that because I think often in our impatience, we try and go ahead of timing. We try and set the pace and the tempo and we're not ready for it. So I'm always managing am I, my thoughts. Am I being patient? And I look at my internal dashboard and think, am I healthy? And that enables me to make sure I'm not storing all the information up for myself. I'm adding value to others. And my heart set is just as strong as the external perception of who I am. <laughs> you know, man. Okay. I, I want to park there for just a second because that that's something that I've seen as a theme in my life recently. And I've seen it as a theme. It's sometimes like what you're going through, you see more in others when you're going through it, you know? So maybe that's <laughs> a sign of selfishness. I don't know. But I've just been reflecting on the fact that health and growth are not the same thing. And just because you're growing doesn't mean you're healthy. And, you know, everyone, everyone here loves to use that phrase. Oh, man, like if you're not growing, you're dying. And I, I've started to look around and I say, well, there's a lot of people that are growing that are just as dead as the people that aren't. Right. And so just because you're growing doesn't mean you're living either. And so I'd love to get your perspective on how do you grow in such a way that you aren't sacrificing your health to do so? How do we become the type of leaders, the type of people, the type of men and women that as our growth, as the bar of our growth raises, our health is simultaneously being raised and increased and expanded as well? Well, this is my favorite topic in coaching. Right? So many of us see health as a one-dimensional thing. I, I see health as your life as a pie. And every slice of your life consists of an area that can't go neglected. So your emotional health is one slice, your physical, your spiritual, your emotional, your vocational, your relational. And if you work on every slice of that pie and grow every slice of that pie, when you serve you to others, what people are going to taste is a whole person. But where we make mistakes is often we'll only focus on the vocational growth or the personal growth and we'll leave the financial over there because we don't like talking about debt or, or bu bu budgets or, or like any of those things and i think we need to establish a holistic view of health that it's not just about the physical the mental the emotional work on every area at the same time for five minutes rather than spend an hour just on um, vocational spend five minutes on each area and 
every aspect of your life will be growing at the same time. There's nothing worse than someone that's vocationally growing, but they haven't emotionally caught up with where their vocation has taken them. Ooh, yeah. That is the most terrifying thing. And that's why you can't rush the preparation, unfortunately. The bigger the growth in your life, the longer the preparation. You know, there's a guy called Charles Spurgeon who said, if I had 25 years left to live, I'd spend 20 of those years in preparation because there's nothing worse than a man getting elevated at a time before he's ready. And so I would just say, let's not be one dimensional when it comes to our quote unquote health. Let's make sure we're integrating every single aspect. Man, that's powerful. How would you say someone honestly evaluate where they're at, right? Because a lot of times the areas where we are least healthy and most able to ignore are simultaneously the areas that I know just for myself personally that I'm completely unaware because I don't know what I don't know, right? It's like, oh yeah, I'm financially golden. It's like, no, you're not. You're an idiot. You need to read a book about finances, but you think you're fine. So you're never going to read that book. And and I am financially okay. That's just an example. I don't want people to freak out right now, but you get what I'm saying here, right? Like, like there's a level of awareness that's required to know that I need to grow. What do you advise for people with regard to that? Yeah. So you always want to live in that vision gap between you know acknowledging how far you've come but being exposed to people so far ahead of you that you can't be settled with the appetite you've got so like for example right now i feel like a teenager right now i'm too mature to be treated like a child so i i can't be treated like i've been treated the last 10 years but i'm not mature enough yet to be treated like an adult so that's why teenagers have so much tension right they're too old to be child too young to be treated like an adult and i think there is a gap that we all find ourselves in whereby we can see and we can taste what our potential is and we've outgrown our past but the present kind of feels like this trans transitory space and place that, that we don't know how to operate in so i just feel like in these seasons we need to allow ourselves to have a bit of grace, have a little bit of patience for ourselves and just be like, you know, this too shall pass. Make sure you embrace the gap, step in the gap, acknowledge the gap. Self-awareness doesn't come easily. It doesn't come cheap. And I'd just say have other voices and other people in your life. I, I'm intentional. I've built myself a life board. And I imagine right now I'm the CEO of my life and I look around every seat of my life board in the boardroom and every single seat is filled with someone with expertise in finance, someone with expertise in communication, someone with expertise in leadership. And some of them don't know they're my, on my advisory board, but they're the ones I'd, I'd call and ring up and talk to. And I say all that to say, they often will reveal something to me, a blind spot that I've not seen in myself. And I hate to hear it, but that's why they're there to tell me, Rob, you need to deal with this. I want to give, I want to give you a real life example. So someone on my team recently was saying, Rob, because you have a lot of knowledge and information on this subject, the danger is you can talk for five minutes about it. And though your team's answer won't be as maybe succinct or as good as yours, you aren't empowering them to speak in that setting. And I was like, oh, is that really, is that, I thought I was helping them. I thought I was helping them out. And they're like, no, your perception was you were helping. But my perception, and let me give you my perspective on this. 
my perspective, Rob, is you're not empowering. So straight away, we had a meeting today. I was quiet most of it. Not out, not because I was sulking, but because I was trying to implement the feedback I'd received. So that's how I think we grow other people's voices and perspectives, giving us a different view on things. Because for I thought I was doing an all right job, but I was <laughs> that's feeling right. Well, and if you're evaluating yourself through the lens of communication, you probably, which is your strength, right? It's now one of your strengths that you've really worked on. You probably did a killer job, but they had the perspective to evaluate you on something different, which I feel like is really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, communication and leadership are two very different skills, but actually your communication, as you know, establishes your level of leadership. So they go together. That's yeah, that's absolutely right. Okay, so this is kind of related to what we discussed at the beginning. One of the things that I've, like, it's almost a theological question, but regardless of what you believe, I, th- I think there's relevance in this for everyone. Mm-hmm. Biblically, there's precedence for you need to have faith, you need to trust God, you need to be where you are, you need to be present, you need to not worry about the future and know that you are provided for and taken care of, right? And I, on my best days, I believe in that and I live into that, right? And then simultaneously at the same time, there's things all over the book of Proverbs that talk about who would set out to build a tower and not first count the cost. And you need to make sure you're properly planning, you need to make sure you're thinking ahead. And there's so many times in the Bible where it's almost like, do these two things contradict each other? And I feel like the answer is always, I need to ask more questions and I need to study closer because there's something in here. So I'd love to know with that specific arena of planning versus trust and faith, how do you come at that, Rob? Wow, that's such a golden question. That's theologically rich. A theologian would come on this podcast and answer it so well, but I'm just going to share what I literally said to myself at lunchtime today. Every day at 1 p.m., I go for what I call, again, alliterated, but walk and worship. And it's just one hour every day, phone goes off, headphones on, and and I'm just abiding, not trying to work anything up, not trying to strive. Anyway, I always get a thought that comes in those moments. And today's thought was this. It was You're exerting too much energy searching for meaning instead of submitting and surrendering to the mystery. And I spend so much of my life, we're wired for meaning. A situation has happened this week whereby I'm trying to to connect the dots. Why did I do that when the outcome was this? And I would just say, don't get too committed and attached to outcomes. Focus on obedience. Because because if the outcome isn't what you wanted and you were obedient, God will weave it together in such a manner and such a form that you'll end up where you want to go eventually. You know, I really do believe on my good days, on my high functioning days, God wants me to get to where he wants me to get to more than I want to get to where I want to go to. And if my desired destination isn't in sync with his desire for me, he will lovingly change and course correct along the way. But I will not leave anything to chance i'll make sure i do everything i can do within my power within my gift set within my potential within my leadership to do what i feel called to do but i am i've got to embrace the mystery because mm-hmm. i'm never even the best leaders have things that happen to them that there aren't answers to <laughs> and yeah. accepting that i think is a good principle to have in your arsenal 
I'm going to reflect on that a lot. And we always do reflection questions on the end of these episodes. So we'll, we're going to challenge y'all after this conversation to, to really reflect on that because that's powerful, Rob. Before we get to our last question, I want people to hear about everything that you're doing. So, so tell us a little bit about your mentorship and coaching program and what your team's doing, and then also where they can find you on social media and all of that, Rob. Great. Thanks for that opportunity. Well, we're doing these monthly webinars, and I'd love people to feel they can attend, glean, and then all we ask of them is to send those principles they've learned onto other people and multiply it. So that's what we're doing leadership-wise. And then, of course, I do one-to-one executive coaching executive being the word here, I really give you a plan to execute on your goals. I I work hard on making sure you get to where you want to go. So all that information is on Rob Wall Official. That's my social media handle. That's my website. And the thread throughout all of it is leadership. Awesome. I love it. Well, Rob, such a fan of yours. I like, I I think I told you before we started, like I saw a video of you on Instagram. I was like, It's like, man, I'm so glad we did because I just think your perspective is going to be so powerful for the people that listen to this. We're going to put the link to to your coaching and all of that in the show notes of this episode. So if y'all do want to check that out, make sure you check out the show notes. Final question before we go. It's actually, I I don't want you to talk to me. I want to talk, I want you to talk to a stranger you've never met named Ben, because Ben is someone that I get to work with in a coaching capacity. Ben is, gosh, I think he's maybe a little bit younger than I am. He may be 28 years old. His business is exploding right now. He's got he's hiring lots of people. I think they're trying to hire seven or eight people here in the short term right now. And he owns a man, manufacturing business that's just crushing it. Simultaneously, he's married and he and his wife just had their first daughter, which is absolutely awesome. And his word and theme for the year is presence. And he said, that's what I'm focused on this year because it can be incredibly challenging to do and put into practice a lot of the things that we're talking about here in this conversation today. And so the question I asked him, I said, hey, I'm talking to this guy in England that about this topic of presence that I think is going to crush this topic. I said, what is one question you'd want to ask him? And he said, what I want to know is I want to be a more present person. And he said, I'm doing this 10 minutes of meditation habit and and I've kind of got that going. But but he said, what I'd really like to know is what is the, the one habit that if Rob could choose anything, what is the one habit he would tell me to focus on instilling? that really he thinks would have a return of making me a more present person and take me on that journey. So I'd love you to speak directly to Ben and just encourage him with the answer to that question. Ben, thanks for your question. The boldest thing, the most courageous thing, the most important thing you could do in 2021 is to say yes to less and no to more. When you're scattered, it might seem and appear fruitful, But for you to be fully present, you need laser-like focus in this season. You need to avoid distraction. You need to commit to the one or two things you want to impact. And your no is more powerful than your yes. And by saying no to things that are good opportunities, but not great opportunities, by saying no, you're conditioning people to realize that you mean business. And I would say, Ben, by doing something that might not feel habitually natural and comfortable, when you train yourself to say no, people will start to see who you are, what you're here for, what you represent. So make that your habit. Say yes to less and no to more because your no is more powerful than your yes. 
Well, there you go. Man, Ben just got Ben just got a killer answer. Ben, I know you're someone that applies that stuff, so get after it. Very cool. <laughs> Rob, so grateful for you. So grateful for your time and your investment. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You're great. Cheers. Well, I'm so grateful to Rob for his time, for his insight, and for his investment. We're going to put the link in the show notes of this episode. He's actually leading some group coaching and mentoring sessions right now that I just know you can tell from his personality in this conversation are just going to be incredibly powerful. So we're going to put the link to that if you are interested in that in the show notes of this episode and definitely go check out that and go follow Rob on social media and connect with him there. I want to park on one topic before we close out today, and that's this topic of presence and really being present with the people that you are called to invest in in this season. And so what I want you to think about is who is one person right now in this season that you feel like you can do a better job being present with? Who's one person that you feel called to serve in this season? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a team member. Maybe it's a leader you're trying to develop. Maybe it's someone that you're trying to disciple or pour into. Who's one person you think that you can do a better job being present with right now? And then what's one action that you would take so that that doesn't become a passive thing, but it actually becomes an active thing. Maybe it's putting away the phone whenever you get home for the first hour. Maybe it's scheduling intentional one-on-one time. Maybe it's taking someone to lunch and paying so that you know, I'm going to invest my time and intention to be here. What could you do to really show them and show yourself, I'm investing in this topic of presence with the people that I am called to? Thank you so much for listening today. Remember that if you want to stay in touch with everything we're doing, we send out Worth It Wednesday every single Wednesday, and that's because most emails aren't worth it. So we decided to create one that is. Every Wednesday, I send a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. So many of y'all have already signed up for this. I, I hope that it's valuable, and I spend a lot of time writing these things and crafting them to make sure they are adding value to where you are on Wednesday. Wednesday morning. So definitely go check that out. The link to that will be in the show notes. Hey, we are rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.